You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. Well, good morning again. It's great to be with you all today. Thank you for being here with us at Lima Community Church. I want to start with a little bit of housekeeping. Is that okay? Sometimes you got to do some housekeeping, you know? So uh, I, I just want to kind of give you a little update about kind of where we've been and where we're going. You may have noticed if you've been part of our church for a while that we haven't been in series for a while. We haven't done a, a sermon series for a little bit. And there's a lot of reasons for that. There, um, you know, things have been a little chaotic with just different happenings. We've had the holidays and we've had a season where we said goodbye to Pastor Doug and Debbie. And, um, and then, you know, sort of the beginning of that transition, we had our district super superintendent for a week. And last weekend, we had our guests, Dale and Gina Forehand. And both of those Sundays were just uh, great times when the Lord met with us. And as, as Pastor Wes has already reminded you, starting here in two weeks, we're going to dive into uh, faith promise time and, and a focus on what God's doing locally and globally and the different things he's up to. And, and uh, after that, we're going to start our Lent series. So we're going to kind of turn our focus to Lent at that point. Uh, so that all left us with this funny time in the calendar where we've got these two Sundays and, and we don't really do two week series very often. And so we sat down with the team and, and looked at these two Sundays, looked at some of the readings from the lectionary. And um, you're, you're going to hear from me today, from Pastor Jonathan next week on a couple different things that actually we think are really uh, appropriate for where we are in the life of our church right now. And I hope that proves to be the case. But uh, just want to kind of give you that little update on where we're at. So today we're going to look at a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And as I often do when I preach, I want to remind you how important it is that as we engage God's word, we ask questions about the text. We, we are curious about what's happening with the text. Who wrote this part of the text? Why did they write it? To whom did they write it? And what were the circumstances that were happening around the time at, at that point? So um, in some ways, the passage that we're going to look at today um, is going to, it's going to make it feel like Easter because we're going to talk a lot about resurrection. And so we're going to, um, sometimes we do Christmas in July the Taylor family has Christmas music in September and October and November and December and January and February. And, uh, you know, we're like, we're just going to do Easter in February. Is that okay? Can we just do that? All right. That's good. So, um, so to, to, to dive into this passage from 1 Corinthians, I want to give you a really brief intro into, into this letter that Paul wrote and to a little bit of understanding about this city called Corinth. Now, Corinth was a city on the west coast of Greece, and it had a, an interesting characteristic of being a place where two cultures sort of uh, came together and, and uh, uh, converged there in Corinth. And many Greek cities were like this in the first century because there were many places that were situated geographically in Greece 
but were under the uh, governmental rule of the Roman Empire. And so you may have heard this adjective or this descriptor word, Greco-Roman, and that would be what the city of Corinth was. It was Greco-Roman. There was the Greek culture, there was the Roman culture, and a lot of these cities that were in Greece would have been uh, described that way in the first century. And then we've got the Apostle Paul, who sometimes I think might even be better called the missionary Paul, because Paul was instrumental in the early days of the Christian church. He visited places as a missionary and helped begin the church that we are still part of today, the, the Christian church. And, and the book of Acts tells many of these journeys of Paul, they, that sort of details Paul's missionary journeys. And in Acts chapter 18, we learn that Paul visited the city of Corinth during his second missionary journey. He took three missionary trips. And during the second one, he visited the city of Corinth and it was probably around the year 50. All right, so in the year 50, Paul visits the city of Corinth. And at this time, Corinth would have been one of the largest and really the most important cities in the Roman Empire. It probably had a population of about 100,000 people, and it was situated uh, very strategically for trade. It was a, a place where the trade routes uh, kind of converged because it was a port city, and there was a lot happening in Corinth. And Paul visited there stayed for about a year and a half around the year 50 and helped start the church there, the Christian church. Now, as we read on in the book of Acts, we learn that on Paul's next missionary journey, after he had, had left Corinth behind, he visited another one of these cities in Greece called Ephesus. And of course, this is a city that we recognize the name of because we have a letter in our New Testament that was written to them as well, the book of Ephesians. And so um, Paul, about four years after he was in Corinth, he visited the city of Ephesus. Now, the, uh, there were, were people in Corinth who, who knew Paul kind of as their pastor, who heard that he was coming to Ephesus, which was about the closest he had been during that time. And they thought, we're gonna go visit Paul. We wanna go see Paul and, and find out how he's doing and tell him how we're doing. And so some of these people from the church in Corinth made the journey over to Ephesus to see Paul when he visited there. And they told him some things that troubled him. They shared with Paul how the, the Greco-Roman culture, in many ways, really the Greek culture of their day, was creeping its way into the church. And incidentally, the Greek culture was very, uh, very counter to the gospel of Jesus, but it was creeping its way into the church in many ways. Now, I know we have to distance ourselves from reality a little bit here to imagine an ungodly culture creeping its way into the church. I mean, maybe there's something here for us. Now, Paul, he loved the Corinthian church. And he knew that the Corinthian church was made up of young Christians. And by the way, all of the churches in the first century were made up of young Christians because the church was a new church. It was a young church. And Paul wanted to help the Corinthian church that he, that he was now hearing is struggling. 
And being the first century and not being able to hop on a plane from Ephesus to Corinth, Paul did the best thing that he could do. He wrote letters to this church that he cared so much about. And we are fortunate enough to still have those letters. Now, we don't know how many he wrote. We don't know if we have parts of letters or exactly what all that looks like, but we've got two letters in our New Testament that are letters that Paul wrote to that church in Corinth. And so with that backdrop, we're gonna look at a passage in 1 Corinthians 15. And before we do that, I wanna remind you again about one more contextual uh, uh, factor that is important. What we are reading is a letter. It's a letter that Paul wrote to a church that he helped start that was very meaningful to him. And what has happened in all likelihood is these Corinthian Christians have come to Ephesus, visited with Paul and told him these things that are happening in Corinth. And Paul is using his letters to address what he has heard. And so when we read the books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and really when we read all of Paul's letters, we, we don't have some kind of a top 10 of like, these are the most important things Paul thought should be taught. We have Paul addressing very specific things that are happening in these churches. He's, he's saying that here is something that's happening that is concerning me, and he is addressing or correcting something that has crept into the church's belief system. So 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 35, Paul says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Fool, he says. One translation says, stupid. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you do not sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain but God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed, its own body. Not all flesh is alike, Paul goes on to say, but there's one flesh for human beings, another for animals, another for birds and another for fish. There are both heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one thing and that of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. And indeed, star differs from star in glory. So this section begins with a question. And the question is not, how is resurrection possible? And the question was also not, by what power does resurrection happen? So what is the question? Well, Paul starts the, the, uh, this section by saying, someone will ask, which probably means some of you are asking, right? Some of you Corinthians are asking, how are the dead raised? And the, the question they are asking is with what kind of body do they come? When the dead are raised, what does the body look like? Like what is going on with their body? Now, this is, a, this is an interesting question for them to ask and to understand why they would ask such a question. We've got to understand a little bit more of this Greek worldview that's creeping its way into the church, that's creeping its way into their thinking. And, and the, the culture that was surrounding them in Greece 
was a culture that had a very complicated relationship with death and a very complicated relationship, especially with dead bodies. There was a lot of baggage there that the Greek people had trouble with. We're gonna talk more about that in a little bit, but this is a culture that had very little hope of life after death. They're also a people who were skeptical about resurrection. Now that we can maybe understand a little bit, right? So there's a couple things about their skepticism that are very interesting that I wanna point out. One thing is, it is, it's fascinating to me that a group of people that are about 20 years removed from the resurrection of Jesus are skeptical of the resurrection. Now that's pretty close proximity to the greatest miracle that we've ever seen. And yet they are wondering, they're skeptical, they have doubts, they have questions. They're not sure what they believe about resurrection. Another thing that's fascinating to me about their skepticism is that they had no problem believing all kinds of supernatural things. They believed in the supernatural occurrences all the time and didn't have any issue with that at all. And so it wasn't the miracle of the resurrection that they couldn't grasp. It wasn't the problems maybe that, that some modern people would have with the science of it. The, the issue that the Corinthian people had with resurrection was their, their aversion to the idea that the body could be reanimated. They did not, they did not accept that the physical body could be reanimated. You see, spirituality for them had to transcend the physical realm. And so they had no problem with the idea of a soul experiencing reawakening or reincarnation or resurrection, but only a soul. Because to them, the physical body, it was just a shackle that tied the soul to this fallen and broken world. For the Corinthian people, there was a very clear distinction between the physical and the spiritual realm. And then Paul goes into this passage about uh, seeds and how the things you sow don't look like the things that come out of the ground. So my parents share a story with me from, from when I was three or four years old. And my mom walked out of our house and found me in the backyard uh, on my back with my head turned up to the sky and my mouth open, right? It's an attractive thing. And when, after she checked to make sure that I wasn't dead, she said, you know, this is, I wasn't sunbathing or anything like that. Like, this is an interesting thing. What are you doing? And I said to her, well, sis told me, my, my sister who's five years older than I am, sis told me that if I swallowed a watermelon seed and drank some water, and let the sun shine in that I could grow a watermelon in my belly. And this seemed like a great idea to me, a watermelon in my belly. I thought this is a great thing. Now, a couple, just a couple quick notes. Some of you may be thinking, it looks like you grew that watermelon in your belly. And in which case, I would invite you to just keep that to yourself, if that's what you're thinking. I don't need to hear that today. Uh, another thing that I thought as I remembered this story this week is that it, like my kids aren't here today, but if they were here, they would be like, what do you mean a watermelon seed? Right? Like we've got kids who don't know that watermelons used to have seeds. 
I mean, we had seed spitting, con- right? You spit the seed across the, what a world we live in where they don't know that watermelons had seeds. And in verse 37, Paul says, you don't sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed. And, and what he's saying is the thing that pops up out of the ground doesn't look like what you put into the ground. The, the watermelon doesn't look like the watermelon seed. The oak tree doesn't look like the acorn. And then he goes into this whole weird thing about all these different types of bodies. And he talks about how the human flesh and the animal flesh and the bird flesh and the fish flesh are all different. And then he talks about earthly bodies and heavenly bodies. And then in the heavenly bodies, he talks about the sun and the moon and the stars. And then in the stars, he says, some of the stars have different kinds of bodies than the other ones. And there's like these degrees of glory and there's all these different kinds of bodies. And all of these metaphors about about seeds and what they grow into and about bodies and their different degrees of glory lead Paul to the crux of his argument, which he starts to make in verse 42. He says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a physical body. It is raised a spiritual body. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, Paul says. Paul says, just like a seed changes into a plant or a tree or a watermelon, And just like there's all these different types of bodies with these different types of flesh or these different heavenly bodies with differing degrees of glory, this is how it is with the resurrection of the dead. Paul says what is sown is perishable. And Pastor Wes reminded us of some things that are coming. Uh, He reminded us about Ash Wednesday. And when we celebrate Ash Wednesday here in a week and a half, the reality that we are confronted with is that what is sown is perishable. The reality that we see on Ash Wednesday that we remember is that our bodies came from dust and that when our bodies are returned to the earth, they turn back into dust, they decay. Our bodies decay. Uh, About a month ago, four weeks ago tomorrow, I uh, got up from my office on, on Monday and was walking through the foyer. And about halfway through the foyer, I thought, oh, that's weird. My back, like my lower back hurts a little bit. And it's still not right. It's still all messed up. You really know you're getting old when you hurt your back by not even doing anything. <laughs> Folks, my body is decaying, <laughs> right? Like this is not the, the body that we have. They're decaying. And, and my lower back pain just pales in comparison to the suffering that we've seen in the last couple of years, the things that some of you have experienced in your families and with your loved ones. Our bodies are broken. They're decaying. They are mortal bodies. What is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. The body that comes out of the ground will not decay. It will not be subject to the sort of decay that we currently experience. It is not corrupted like our current bodies 
are corrupted. And then Paul uh, continues in this passage in verse 44, where he says, it is sown a physical body, it is raised a spiritual body. And here is where I'm gonna just take issue with our, uh, our current translators. Sometimes we just lack the, the depth of language to have precision in how we want to translate. Now, I know it's a dangerous thing for a pastor to stand up here and say that these translators don't know what they're doing. It's a very arrogant place for me to be. And so just so you know that it's not, this isn't just some little guy from Lima who has this opinion. I wanna tell you about the resources that I used this week that helped me understand why this is a problem. I, I used three commentaries that are, are incredibly trustworthy that anybody in a Wesleyan holiness tradition would have a lot of faith in these people's interpretation of scripture. They're way smarter than I am. And I'm gonna give you direct quotes about what these commentators think about the translation, physical body and spiritual body, okay? The first one said, the, the wording physical body slightly misses Paul's point. This is a, a tame understanding. Okay. This is a kind, this, this commentator is being very kind to the translators. The second one's a little bit rougher. He says, many versions translate these words as physical body and spiritual body, but this is highly misleading. Okay. It's a little, it's a little more pointed. And then the, the most pointed of all, the third commentator who said, the physical body translation is especially unfortunate for it reinstates precisely the dualism between physical and spiritual that Paul is struggling to overcome. And so what these, what these Bible scholars are saying is Paul is fighting this battle that there is a dualism between the physical and the spiritual body. He's trying to help people see that a biblical worldview joins these two things and yet in our Bible, we've got the same idea of the physical and the spiritual body. And so we, if, if he's not saying a physical body and a spiritual body, then what is he saying? What, what does he mean by that? Well, what Paul means when he says uh, what we translate as a physical body is not what the body is made of. It's what what energizes the body. It's the source of life. And what Paul says is our mortal body is animated by our own human resources, that we are our own source of life in our mortal bodies. Likewise, when he calls the resurrection body, the spiritual body, this does not mean that it's made of spirit, that it's like a ghost or ethereal, or it can like move around in these weird ways. What it means is that the source of energy and life is the spirit, the Holy Spirit. The difference Paul is describing is not a difference of makeup, but a difference between a body animated by one source of life and a body animated by another. I shared with one of our staff members, Justin Lewis, this week, who um, is our uh, interim youth pastor and works in our facilities and young adult department. I shared with him that, that this was a passage I was preaching on. And he said, I've got a great metaphor for you. And I thought to myself, I've got all the metaphors I need. And then he told me his metaphor and I thought that's better than anything I got. And so I'm gonna use it. <laughs> So, so here's the metaphor. If we're having trouble between this whole physical and spiritual body thing, here it is. 
What Paul is describing is not the difference between a wooden boat and a metal boat. That's what it would be if it's just what the body's made of. It's just that this boat's made of wood and this boat's made of metal. And that's it. That's all you need to know. That's not what Paul's doing. What Paul is describing is the difference between a rowboat and a sailboat. You see that? This one, we just got to power this one all on our own. I'm just doing this with what I've got. That's all I can do. This one over here, the sailboat, it's powered by the wind. And by the way, the, the Greek word for wind is the same as the Greek word for spirit. The, it, the sailboat is like God going and blowing into that sail. That's what Paul's saying. It's what powers the body, what, what sources the, the life, the energy in the body. That is the distinction that Paul makes here. And so instead of being animated and sourced by our own nature, the spirit of God stirs the resurrected body. And the spirit is the source of the resurrection life. It's, a, it's an act of new creation by God, the creator. And it involves transformation. Transformation from one type of body to a different type. From, a, from an earthly type of body to a heavenly type, a different degree of glory, the type of which we've never seen before except one time. Some of the staff went to a workshop a couple weeks ago and we got to hear some great teaching. And um, some of that teaching reminded me that, um, you know, we, we, we understand that the resurrection is a really important thing, right? I mean, we can't really overstate that. Sometimes we forget that the resurrection of Jesus isn't the only resurrection that we have in scripture. And as I thought about that, as I prepared this week, I, I thought about the difference between the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of Lazarus, for example. And here's, here's the difference. Lazarus died again. When, when Jesus resurrected the body of Lazarus, do you know what he resurrected? He resurrected the rowboat. He resurrected the mortal body, the temporary body, the broken decaying body the body that we all still inhabit. That's what Jesus resurrected when he brought Lazarus out of his grave. And that's why Lazarus died again, because that was still the body that he inhabited. The difference with the resurrection of Jesus is that when Jesus's body came out, it wasn't just the mortal body. It was the resurrection body. It was animated by a different source of life. It was the same body that but it had been transformed. And, and this is what Paul says our resurrection bodies will be too. Just like a seed planted in the ground doesn't look like what comes up out of the ground, our risen bodies will have some continuity with, with the thing that went before, but they will be powered by a different source of life. You know, there are many delicate balances in our faith. I, I, as I, I wrestled with some of this stuff this week, I thought about some of these balances. One of the delicate balances that we've, we've talked about often here is the kingdom. Is the kingdom of God here now? Yeah, yeah, it is. Is the kingdom of God yet to come? Yes, thank God it is yet to come, right? I thought about how we, we think about holiness and, and the process of sanctification in our lives. Does it, does it happen in a moment? 
Yeah. Does it take a lifetime? Yeah, it does. It's, there's a lot of both and in our faith. There's a lot of places where we have to live with some tension in our faith. And, and that's part of what we have in faith. And this is another one. I just thought this week about the question, look at that resurrected body. Is that the same body as before? Yeah, ask Thomas. He put his fingers in the wounds. Is that the same, is that the same body as before? Yeah, is that also a different body? Yes, it's a different type of body than we've ever seen before. And that is the resurrection body. It has continuity and it has transformation. And so just like Paul started this section by saying, some of you might be asking, what kind of body is the resurrection body? I, I have to wonder if there's some people here in Lyman today who think, well, this was a pretty nice little lesson, but I didn't really care about what kind of body the resurrection body was, you know? I don't know how important it is. Well, I'm glad you asked. Because <laughs> I wanna tell you why I think it's important. I think it is important for us to think about what we believe about our bodies. If like the Greeks, we decide that this body is nothing but a shackle, all it is is a container for a soul or a spirit, and it, all it does is hold us to this earth, that may lead us to decide to treat these bodies, these mortal bodies uh, in a way that would not honor God. And by the way, there's plenty of other evidence in Paul that this is how he views it. That's not what we believe. We don't believe as Christians what the Greeks believed. We believe that the resurrection is not just a spiritual reality. We believe it is a physical reality. It wasn't it wasn't just the spirit of Jesus that came out of the grave, amen? When they went to that grave, the body was gone. Resurrection is a physical reality. And this is important because in a world where the physical body is not raised, death still gets to win, but that's not our world. Jesus overcame death. Amen. I think this is important to us in another very profound way. So we've talked a lot about bodies today. Lots of different types of flesh and heavenly bodies and earthly bodies and different degrees of glory and all these different types of bodies. But the one that we haven't talked about yet is this body. We are the body. When we gather, we are the body of Christ. And there is a really important question for us to deal with as the body of Christ. And that is, what kind of body do we want to be? Do we want to be animated and sourced by our own energy, our own resources? Do we want to, do we want to get in the rowboat? I like you all, and I would love to get in a rowboat with you. And I think you're I think you're pretty high capacity people and we could, do, we could do some good stuff with just our own resources in this rowboat right here. Is that the kind of body we want to be? If, if that's the choice we make, if we decide that we're gonna be 
this body that's powered by our own stuff, I just wanna tell you that we're gonna have a sore lower back real quick and we're gonna decay and we're not going to last. And so instead, I would rather get in a sailboat with you. I would rather ride in a boat with you that's powered by a totally different source of life than what I'm capable of. And God love you what you're capable of. I hope that our body is animated by the spirit of the living God. That body will survive, remain, persist. It will last, it won't decay. That's what we learn from what Paul shares with us today. Would you bow your heads with me? Oh God, forgive us when we decide to hop in the rowboat and just do things with our own resources. And God, help us to see why it matters what we believe about the physical and the spiritual realm. And God, help us as a church to be a body that is animated and sourced and energized by the spirit of the living God. I have so much faith in these people. I have so much faith in our staff. And I think we, we really could do well if we just did it with our own resources, but that's not what I wanna be a part of. And I don't think that's what anybody here wants. I think we wanna be sourced and energized by your spirit. And God, we pray that would be true of us. Make it, make it so. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? Thank you all so much for being here today for a little New Testament lesson. I hope it's been helpful. As a word of benediction, I wanna share another of Paul's prayers from uh, the third chapter of uh, Colossians, where he says, there is far more to life for us. We are citizens of high heaven, we're awaiting the arrival of the Savior, the Master, Jesus Christ, who will transform our earthly bodies into glorious bodies like his own. He'll make us beautiful and whole with the same power by which he is putting everything as it should be under his control. Amen. God bless you. Thanks so much for being here. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.